Daniel chapter 9, and we continue in our series of expositions in this epistle, or rather book, by the prophet Daniel that reminds us of God's control over the world and also his faithfulness to his people. Those primary thoughts that God controls the world, and when we speak about that, it's not just the revolving planets, but also the intricate details of our individual lives, and then that he is faithful to us as his people. So far, um, especially in Daniel chapter 9, we have been considering this extraordinary prayer of Daniel. And I'm not sure that we find any other prayer that is as long as this in other parts of the Old Testament, but here we are definitely given the, the outpouring of uh, the servant of the Lord with respect to the condition of God's people. They are in uh, a state of desolation. They, they are in the, uh, the Babylonian and in due season, they are in, among the midst and the Persians in their empire. And then back home, uh, Jerusalem uh, has been brought down. It's been um, destroyed in terms of its walls. It's uh, um, the, the temple that once was a magnificent edifice has now been destroyed and its utensils have been taken away together with the people of God in captivity. And now it's been uh, decades upon decades upon decades without uh, this matter being addressed. And what we have seen at the beginning of Daniel 9 is that Daniel now figures it out that in a few years, God should be restoring us back to the promised land and something of a former glory may return to us. And so Daniel, perceiving that, begins to pray. We've so far seen that a large part of that prayer has been confessing his sins and the sins of his people, the people of Israel. But was the end of that prayer from about uh, verse 16 down to verse 19, Daniel finally speaks out what has been on his heart. And ultimately, it's been that God might have mercy upon his people and bring this devastation to an end, that they might come back to the promised land. Uh, the last time we're looking at this together, we're looking at verse 19, actually. Uh, the end of that prayer, where we saw both the intensity and urgency of the prayer of Daniel. The intensity and the urgency. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God. And that aspect of delay not is something of the urgency there. 
because your city and your people are called by your name. There was definitely a lot of emotion there. And we said that that should be natural to us as God's people when we pray, that there must be realism, uh, that we, we should avoid prayers that are just clockwork. Now, granted, if you're praying for a meal and it's sitting in front of you, yes, it will be clockwork. But there are big issues related to the world, big issues related to our nations, big issues that are related to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ that really should melt our hearts and cause us to, as it were, remove our velvet gloves and fight, so to speak, or wrestle in prayer with bare knuckles. And this is what we find here with respect to Daniel. Well, today, what we are seeing in verse 20 to verse 23 is the God who answers prayer. <clears throat> the God who answers prayer. And then verse 24, right to the very end of the book of Daniel, is the answer that God actually gives to Daniel. But I don't want us to rush to that. I want us to, to, to take time in just this one message to appreciate the God who answers prayer. There will be tough things that will be coming to us from verse 24 onwards. Uh, it is apocalyptic literature in its highest sense, only equaled by the book of Revelation. And so there will be a lot of stuff there. But let us remember <clears throat> that for God's people, the God who answers prayer is even more important. Because as I said to you last time, remember there are two aspects that make up the Christian life. God speaking to us through the Bible, us speaking to God through prayer. Those are the two things. And therefore, when we come to speak about prayer, we are speaking about 50% of what it means to really have close dealings with God. 50%. And that means a lot. But let me go further. One aspect of prayer that's all important that makes us pray is that we want God to answer our prayers. We do. Seriously, we do. We, we, we don't just repeat words and say, okay, I've done my ritual, let me now go on. No. There, there are things we want from God that drive us to our knees. And it was the same with Daniel here. And so I think it is important that we don't just examine Daniel's prayer, but we also examine the way in which God answers that prayer. Even before we see the details of the answer, how does God answer prayer? Well, quickly, verse 20. We are told 
While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Two things I want us to see from this answer that we have. First of all, it is that we need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged to note that God answers prayer the moment we are talking with him. He answers prayer the moment we are talking with him. Now this is the emphasis in verse 20 and verse 21 because you will notice at least twice Daniel states that it was while I was speaking in prayer that the answer actually was sent by God. While I was speaking in prayer. We notice it in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people and so on. Verse 21, at the very beginning of it. While I was speaking in prayer. God began to answer. We also see it in verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Not at the end, but at the beginning. Or, to borrow his own words, while he was speaking to God, God immediately answered his prayer. That is something we all long for, isn't it? When we are praying, to realize that God is not like our parents or our employers or whoever it is that you are speaking to and asking something from them. You see, human beings, they, they, they don't answer you at the beginning of your asking because they don't know what you want to ask. So they wait for you to finish. In fact, often, while you are talking, they are processing like a computer, looking at the various options and seeing, okay, if I give in this time, what precedence am I setting? And, and, and so on. What is it going to cost me? And things to that effect. Will, 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 will I really satisfy what is being asked for? And so forth. 
That's the way a human being functions. And sometimes, even when you're finally finishing putting your request before him or her, the person says, um, why don't you come back tomorrow morning? I'll have an answer for you then. What's happening between now and tomorrow morning is that the person is processing this request and maybe even seeking advice from others before giving you your answer. And we often think like that about God. As we go to him again and again to pray, we are thinking that we are arm-twisting. We, we are trying to, to, to get him to, to finally give in and give us the answer. When we go to the book of Matthew and... Uh, chapter 6, where the Lord is teaching us to pray, the, the Lord tells us there that, in fact, God knows, even before you start praying, what you want. He's already got it figured out because he is an all-knowing God. Matthew 6 and verse 8. I'll begin reading from verse 7. Matthew 6 verse 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words as a kind of formula. The more I can keep on going, the more I might manage to get an answer out of him. And then he says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. And that's amazing, isn't it? That before we even start praying, he actually knows what we need. And in that very moment of engagement, he is giving us some answer. And I suppose, as I've already said, you know, we, we tend to think more of, of God when we are praying as if we, we are sending a, a letter to heaven. And, of course, it takes time for letters to get anywhere, uh, at least no more uh, post office means. And then it also takes time for the answer to come back from there. And that's the way we, we often think. But God is not like a human father who, as I've said, must begin thinking about our request the moment we go on to ask. He already knows and consequently can even give the answer, engage us at the very point when we are asking. So the question then comes in, so if, if he already knows, why pray? Eh? If he already knows, why pray? Well, the reason is quite simple. It is the relationship that we ought to have with God. It is a very real relationship. God wants us to exhibit realism with him. You see, when God 
allows us to peep into Scripture. He wants us to see two aspects of life. One aspect is what we call the sovereignty of God. And when he shows us the sovereignty of God, it is in order for us to appreciate more the kind of God who is there. The kind of God who is there. That he is not altogether like ourselves. But God doesn't only reveal that aspect of himself. He also reveals the aspect of human responsibility so that we might be able to relate to him as children, relate to a father, as the vanquished, relate to a savior, and so forth. And so we must never cancel one in the name of the other. We must never do so. And in this particular case, God does want us to go to him the way we go to a father and genuinely place before him our needs, our very real needs. He, he loves that. It is part of our relationship. So we must pray as Daniel prayed here. We must confess our sins as Daniel confessed here. We must plead before him as Daniel pleaded here. And it's interesting, again, when we look at how Daniel summarized his prayer, how the main issue, again, was about the glory of God. God, glorify yourself. Let's look again at the way he summarized his praying here. He says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, and notice, for the holy hill of my God. For the holy hill of my God. Here is as it were a child speaking to his father, and he's speaking to him about his cause, about his name, about his glory. Now tell me, isn't that something that God would really not want? That here is my child who is not just absorbed about himself and treating me as though I am some almighty servant of his. But listen to him. Listen to him. His prayer is a real outpouring about circumstances to do with my glory, my reputation. This is the God that he was praying to, and obviously this God is interested. May I challenge us, brethren, to examine our prayer lives. When we get to pray together, or as individuals, what are we praying for? What primarily engulfs or absorbs us? Are we passionate about the things of God? Because if we are, he's saying, come, come into my presence and pour out your holy soul, those longings, 
call them out. That doesn't mean that he's waiting for you to finish before he answers. Not at all. He would already in the background be doing a lot that ties in with your prayer. In this particular case, God sent the angel Gabriel for the second time in order to attend to Daniel's spiritual needs. Now, I think by today we tend to take it for granted when we read about Daniel, rather, about Gabriel. But may I mention this to you, that it's actually the, in the book of Daniel and this particular place going forward that Gabriel is mentioned by name. But not only that, Gabriel, Angel Gabriel, is, is one that uh, is mentioned by name together with only one other angel, and that's Angel Michael. Just the two of them. In the whole Bible, there are thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 angels. God mentions two, Gabriel and Michael. And uh, Gabriel is primarily in terms of sending messages from God to his special ones. Michael, it's often in terms of warfare, putting up a gallant fight on behalf of God. And both of them their names have to do with God, actually. The, that last E-L is short for Elohim. So it's really about God himself that these two are named before us. So this was, this was special. This was unique. This was, as it were, an out-of-this-world experience. And Daniel is saying, it's the second time that this angel, this mighty angel, has been sent from God in order to attend to my needs. The man, Gabriel, in other words, in the form of man, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, and it's the vision he had in chapter 8 earlier. He says, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. This was special. But here's my point. He didn't ask for it. He wasn't saying, God send an angel to come and tell me anything. No, his prayer was, Lord, restore the people of Israel back to the promised land as you had promised. And God does something extraordinary. He sends angel Gabriel to come and meet him at his point of need. Well, that's the first aspect that I wanted us to see. And it is to be encouraged that when we are getting on our knees, when we are coming together as husband and wife, 
to pray, when we are entering the prayer meeting and we are sharing out our prayer requests and beginning to pray, it's not as if God is sort of waiting to listen to what we have to say. No, no, he knows it all. And behind the scenes, he is already acting, combining our prayers with his eternal purposes. But in the second place, what I want us to see is how God answers prayer. Again, may this be an encouragement to us. Let's be encouraged to note that God answers prayer not according to our want, but according to our need. He answers prayer in a way that best suits our need. A way that best suits our need. With an eternal perspective in mind. We've said that Daniel was praying for mercy to restore the people of God to the promised land. He was praying for mercy for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and its temple to something of its former glory. That's what he was praying for. Well, Gabriel arrives. And what does he say? Let's go back to our text. Verse 22. He made me understand. That's what he did. Daniel, rather Gabriel, made him to understand. Speaking with me and saying, Oh Daniel, I have now come out to do what? Listen to give you insight and understanding. And by the way, those two words are interchangeable. They are being used that way for the purpose of emphasis. Again, verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the word, and here it is again, and understand the vision. Now, let's face it, brethren. Daniel prayed the way we pray. We, we, we don't pray for everything between now and the second coming of Christ. We pray for one item that is in front of us. We pray for a job. We pray for a place in school. We pray for finances to help us over a particular issue. We pray for healing for our bodies because we are sick or a loved one is sick. We're very clear about what we are praying for, and it is a one-item agenda. It was the same with Daniel. What he was praying for did not go any further than the tip of his nose. It was this, restore us back to the promised land, to rebuild Jerusalem, period. That's all. Nothing beyond that. But the one being prayed for 
is not just interested in that one item at the tip of our nose. He is interested in the bigger picture. The bigger picture. Let me read to you something of what the answer is from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Now, that's just the beginning of the answer. The answer fills chapter 10. The answer fills chapter 11. The answer fills chapter 12. Those three chapters and a half, since it goes a little bit into chapter 9, is all an answer to this prayer of Daniel. Now, if you find by the time we get to the end of chapter 9, your brain is going round and round and round and round, don't blame yourself because that's the way it feels. Listen to this, verse 24. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again, with squares and more. But in a troubled time, and after the 60, 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of, on the wing rather, of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now that's a powerful answer to prayer. It, it sounds like just a little more than get us back to the promised land. But that's God, you see. He's not boxed into this little world of ours where what we want is this next item. This next item. And God answered this next item. God is saying to Daniel, hoo, 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 hold on. You've almost killed yourself praying here. Let me tell you what lies ahead. Bang. And it's a whole world of information. In fact, as you enter into chapter 10, you discover that this praying of Daniel actually continues. And as this praying continues, uh, Daniel gets again more and more information 
coming in from um, Angel Gabriel. And by the end of the information that he is giving, what Daniel actually receives, listen to me, is information that has kept the Christian church going from that point to now, and in fact will be going until Jesus returns. The book of Revelation, which was a comfort to the people of uh, the, the New Testament church through John, hangs on the words that are found here. Hangs on the words that are found here. Because God was answering Daniel the bigger picture. Not just for himself, but actually for generations yet to come. That's God. That's God. Sometimes we say that um, God answers in three ways. That's the way we put it. We say he answers first. One answer is no. A second answer is wait. And the third answer is yes. And of course, we, we're hoping it will be the third one, yes. But he can also answer, actually, this is better here. And what he's giving us is definitely not what we were asking for. It's a form of yes and a form of no. It's somewhere in between. He's giving us what we need instead of what we want. And what he, we need is not just me and my need. It's the bigger picture. That's what God is doing here. Again, let me challenge us, brethren, because, you know, we tend to be so like little children when they want something. A parent normally sees the bigger picture, but the child wants that little thing that is in front of me. And we need to realize that often, God sees the bigger picture and therefore may often surprise us with the answers that he gives. There are a lot of examples in history, but for now, I need to hurry on to say this, that when God does not answer our requests, our, as according to our requests, often we begin to doubt his love for us, isn't it? We begin to think, perhaps he doesn't love me. Perhaps there's something wrong. And yet here, it almost as though to, to encourage Daniel, we, we find these words in verse 23, verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, and listen to this, for you are greatly loved. 
you are greatly loved. That little phrase is repeated in chapter 10 twice, this aspect that you are greatly loved. The same little phrase, you are greatly loved. And I think it's important for us to, to process it again with our own prayers. Because, as I said, our tendency is to conclude, if I'm not getting that which I'm asking for from God, then he doesn't care for me, he doesn't love me. When really God is saying, uh-uh, this is better. This is better. You are truly loved. And this love is based on two things. Based on two things. Number one, it is based on um, God's eternal decree. It's based on God's eternal decree. He, he chose us, and he, it is an electing love. Remember the way in which God speaks about um, Esau and Jacob, and he says, Esau, I hated but Jacob I loved. It is a love that is eternal. It is a love that includes us in God's eternal purpose. It's a love that is not primarily dependent on us. I'll come to that in a moment. Primarily dependent on us. It is primarily dependent on a decision that God already made in eternity. And so he is saying to Daniel, Daniel, you have a very special place in the heart of God. You are dearly loved, greatly loved. But secondly, and we see this in chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, this is the second time this phrase is used. It's... Uh, it's realized, it's experienced in a heart that is after God's own heart. And really, I, I need to drive this home, brethren. It is realized or experienced in a heart that is after God's own heart. Let's quickly read Daniel 10, 11 to 12. Uh, I'll begin reading from verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, this is Gabriel again dealing with him. O Daniel, man greatly loved. There it is. Eh? Man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you. Again, we notice this aspect of understanding, being given understanding. And stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. Okay, we've dealt with that already. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, and here it is, that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. 
So this aspect of being dearly beloved is also, yes, it is primarily based on an eternal decree that has chosen me to have a very special place in God's his history and outworking of his purposes. But it's also realized or experienced in time in a soul that is committed from the inside to God and his great purposes. Remember what we said earlier about answered prayer. That it's not God is a mighty servant to save you. But it is that soul that has recognized I am his weak servant to serve him, his great purposes, while he lends me breath. That produces in actual time and experience this sense of God acting and God speaking and God reassuring that he loves you. He loves you. In the midst of not just the yes, but the no, the wait, and this is better, he lets you know that he loves you. Can we change our thinking? May we change our praying? from that which serves us to, Lord, I lay my life before you. Do with me as you see best. Lord, I lay my life before you that you might be glorified in my life. Could we change our praying that way? That we may begin to experience something of being greatly loved. Greatly loved by the Lord. Well, brethren, I need to wrap up. One or two quick words. As I said, we will get into the apocalyptic literature, the Lord willing, next time. But I really did not want us to miss this because prayer is so important in our Christian lives. And if we, we quickly jump this part, and after all, Daniel came, rather, Gabriel came to bring an answer. Let's, let's go to the answer that he brings. We may be missing out on what God, by his infinite wisdom, has penned for our instruction. Let us take time to appreciate the God who answers prayer. And we've learned today that in sovereignty, he answers as he pleases. But often, it is tied up in our relationship with him. Tied up in our relationship with him. Even as we are praying in the background, God is already working out his divine purposes. What that will be, we don't know. But all he wants us with realism to be engaged in prayer with him.
if as we come to the end of this large chunk on prayer, you have not been challenged to pray, to pray more often, to pray more consistently, to pray with real biblical realism, I don't know what will teach you to pray. Because ultimately, that's what we've been learning here. It's in the midst of great prophecies, great visions. But it's about prayer. May it help us to be individuals who primarily seek him for issues to do with his kingdom. His kingdom. The future of his kingdom. So that even long after we ourselves are buried, dead, the answers to our prayers continue. Continue. Because they are related to the outworking of the great purposes of the kingdom of God. What a difference it would make if we learn to pray like Daniel. Let's pray. Eternal and gracious God in heaven, what a rebuke the prayer of Daniel is to us. For we confess that often we think of praying when it's about us and our needs to pass our exams, to have a salary increment, to have healing in our bodies. It's us, us, and us. And yes, Lord, you do not deny us that for you've taught us to pray that we might have today our daily bread. But, oh, Lord, long before that, you've taught us to pray, how, Lord, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, challenge us to be great prayer warriors as Daniel was. To have answers to our prayers that will outlive us far outlive us. Indeed, to get through our prayers great dynamos rotating that will continue to give light long after we are buried with our fathers. Oh, Father, ignite within us a true passion for prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.